So good afternoon, everyone. Very nice to be here. New location for some of our members in the community. Huh? And they've been deserving of something like this for a long time. So we're very happy for Krishna Chaitanya and Gopal Nandini. Vivo! And their cows. Go save Kijai. So we've been discussing from the Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavat Purana from the 10th Canto. And um, since I've come here to North Carolina, who, where I'm just, uh, we're just finishing up the visit about 10, 12, 13 days, something like that. Nice to be with you all again. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we uh, began by speaking about the nature of Leela from a philosophical, theological point of view, as understood within our particular tradition. Leela, of course, in a simple sense, means play, drama, and um, in drama, of course, in poetry, in the arts, then things can happen that don't ordinarily happen. Hmm. So it's a it's a, a suitable uh, vehicle, theater, drama, poetry, to convey that which, that realm uh, in which um, impossible is not found in the dictionary. Hmm. It's a little bit beyond the space between our ears, and that's that's good to know that there is something larger than that uh, realm of greater possibility. We know from our own practical experience that the physical realm has limitations. Indeed, we live to, as I often say, to to transcend, if you will, those limitations. And human society is always celebrating those moments and fractions of seconds even that we exceed the, what were previously thought to be the limits, hmm? whether it be crossing oceans, uh, flying to into outer space, running one ten-thousandth of a second faster than anyone has previously and so forth. So humans are living for, in a sense, that which they that which their selves, the Atma, is is uh, about. It's not uh, confined to uh, time and space, and in human life it, it's coming to the fore, and therefore questions of meaning and value and so forth arise in human society. Value, meaning, purpose, and, and the like is all obviously derived from the subjective realm, from consciousness. Consciousness gives meaning to matter. As I often say, well, stones don't think, they're actually thoughts. Hmm. So even the objective world is more thought-like than, 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 than we think, uh, but it's there. But <laughs> uh, other than what's out there, 
what's in there? These are the two questions. What's out there and who's asking the questions? That's what life is really about. So our subject here is not something from an old dusty book that doesn't have uh, relevance in our time. <clears throat> but as I've just spoken in the last couple of minutes, I've only addressed just a kind of the 101 of the nature of consciousness. And the text that we've been speaking from, it's like, well, 108, let's say, <laughs> of, the, of the possibilities of consciousness, the nature of consciousness, what lies there. Um, I've given a numerical example at times in the past worth repeating that if you're in negative numbers, hmm, which we could compare to the implications of karma, which is a type of movement that has uh, repercussions. In other words, we, we take and so we owe. Hmm. So we're in negative numbers. We're moving, but we're actually going backwards. Hmm. We don't really acquire anything hmm. right? other than a debt. Because what we do acquire, apparently, we can't keep, but the debt we keep. So we remain indebted and then, from the point of view of Vedanta, in a cycle. We're going, you know, up, the trying to, the down escalator. So we're not, we're not getting anywhere. Going round and round and round in the circle game. So, <laughs> she got that right. So, um, <laughs> if we go from negative numbers to zero, then that zero has a positive connotation. Mm -hmm. That's coming out of negativity and the work, mm, the movement. The movement is we're moving because someone's chasing us, but we don't know that it's us. <laughs> that we're chasing ourselves. We're per perpetuating the struggle, so to speak, because uh, we are hunting. What I mean by that is acquiring, taking, with the sense that if we acquire more, we'll be complete. Hmm? erroneously thinking that we're, we're incomplete, having identified with a particular configuration of matter that's, that's, that's not going to remain as it is. It's, so it's troublesome. But we want, without any sense of anything more than that, we want it to be, in fact, all that we are without knowing ourselves. So in order to try to accomplish that, we take from the world, we, ex we exploit. Um, and because we're taking uh, from others, others are taking from us, but we're perpetuating that. We're like hunters that are being hunted, but our own hunting is perpetuating the, uh, the fact that we're being hunted. It's just the nature of the, the beast, if you will, material existence. So, uh, to come to zero, that's a big relief, peaceful. 
And many uh, transcendentalists, understandably, will stop there. Goodness, what more could be said? Uh, if you've been chased for, for a long time <laughs> and you finally get to rest and there's nobody to, to, to bother you, peaceful, then uh, it, has a, it has a kind of a negative bliss to it. End of sorrow. End of the struggle. That's a big thing. Huge. If you could realize the extent to which you exist, then you would have no sorrow, no fear, no anxiety. We're all struggling with these things, so it's a huge uh, accomplishment. Uh, and as I say, given that, many transcendentalists were schools, uh, paths, uh, uh, to uh, aimed at uh, finding our way out of the maze of material existence. We'll stop there. But uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had the adventurous uh, spirit to ask at zero, are there any positive numbers and what that might be like? Hmm. Oh, the jnanis, that hurt their heads. The, the, the big thinkers. No. <laughs> we thought our way this far. You know, can we stop now? Like, now, you're, again, there's work to be done. We have to go. Yes. From war to peace, hmm, then you want to rest. Right? The war of karmic involvement, to come to, to peace, to rest. But what we're talking about is love. So in love there is also movement, and there's also some struggle, if you will, but it's a worthwhile and rewarding struggle. It has ups and has downs. We move in the world to find love, we cannot rest until we do, and when we do we find, oh, it has an orbit of its own. So I'm giving, of course, just an ordinary common example that we might draw from to appreciate the philosophical point that, that, that while coming from negative numbers to the zero of understanding I'm not confined even by time and space, I'm eternal, there's a bliss in that, the bliss of being without worrying about having to become Again, there's a bliss in, 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 in the relief, if you will, but it's, it's minimal. Hmm? Huge, <laughs> but minimal, comparatively, is, what I'm, is my point. So, from peace, is there any question, is there any movement in transcendence? Brahman, which is the Sanskrit word used to refer to the absolute in stillness, is thought to be omnipresent, omniscient, all, all pre everywhere and all-knowing. So, as I often say, if you're everywhere, well, it's, there's nowhere to go, so there's no movement then, stillness. If you know everything also, then you have no impetus to do anything, to 
find anything out. So Brahman, this is a feature of the Absolute that's, that's uh, still by nature. And Krishna, Bhagavan, is that feature of the Absolute Truth that's moving despite the fact that it's everywhere, that he's everywhere. Now that, again, doesn't fit too well between the ears, but if you're everywhere, and you know everything, and therefore there's nothing to do, you might get bored. So there's a problem with omniscience, a problem with omnipresence. And how do we deal with boredom? Well, we play. We make up a game. So Leela is something like that, but the game is real. And it constitutes movement and transcendence that in the broadest sense involves an interaction between ourselves and our source. Interaction, uh, reciprocal dealings, if you will. There's some kind of movement in transcendence where the finite interacts with the infinite. Now for that interaction to be more friendly and less abstract hmm? and more like the kind of movement that we feel comfortable with whenever we have it in material life like intimacy with another be that our partner our child our friend hmm? the world's really moving around these things hmm? the, the humans are living for love, if you will. So, if, so is there any possibility that within transcendence, hmm, that abstract idea of movement there and interaction between the, the, the self and its source can become more concrete, if you will, and more more intimate? And that's when we come to uh, to, to Krishna Lila, where the infinite has taken a finite-like form in order to afford intimacy with the finite because if the finite knew it was sitting next to the infinite then it would be pushed back a little bit and say oh my god <laughs> oh my god so it would be difficult to be friendly with such a feature of the absolute it would be difficult to be friendly in all respects and say get it yourself <laughs> among friends we can talk like that Get it yourself, hmm? right? <laughs> uh, so there, so, so the, this, the stories, if you will, the legends, the leelas that we have been discussing, hmm? they come from a section of the Bhagavatam that's about this friendly type of love. Hmm? Kaviraj Krishnadas, one of the great uh, saints in our tradition, called it Sakya. Hmm? Rupa Goswami before him called it Preobhakti. Hmm? In his Priti Sandarbhaji, Goswami calls it Maitri. These are all different words to try to convey a sense of, uh, of friendliness. This is one of the aesthetic uh, centers of the tenth book of the Bhagavat, which tells the story of Krishna. It's a telling of the story of Krishna, who is a historical figure, Ram and Krishna. Historical figures 
about whom we have some archaeological evidence, information, um, uh, literary uh, uh, legacy as as to their their um, walking in in human society and so forth. But what the text is about is Vyas, the legendary uh, author of the sacred texts of the Hindus, a sage. His it's about his meditation on the historical Krishna with a controlled yogic, if you will, mind, completely detached from uh, uh, the, the the workings of the mind that that cause us to be biased in this way or our senses call drive that causes to be biased in another way. In other words, yoga and spiritual life is about objectivity to the extreme when properly understood. It's not just an imagination. The experience derives from stepping back from our material emotions and reining in the senses in terms of their penchant to reach out and interact with sense objects of taste, of touch, sight, sound, and so forth, and the emotional life that that comes from that and so forth, that doesn't give us a clear picture of the nature of reality. Because through the medium of the senses, we may think, she's nice, and another person may think, I didn't like her at all, or him, or this or that. So which is it, nice or not, good, bad, or is it hot or cold? These are all just readings through instruments that are obviously in conflict with another, one another and not giving a clear picture of what's out there. So yoga is about stepping back with the same kind of objectivity, for example, that a scientist is supposed to have. The only difference is he only wears a white coat or she only wears a white coat in the lab. Hmm? But in yoga you have to wear a the white coat or something like this all the time, not all of you. <laughs> You get to where I'm, then you have to, where they say, what are you doing? <laughs> so, so you know, what I'm saying to you is that you know, spiritual life practiced is is not about offering things on the altar. It's about that. But what's really about is putting yourself on the altar, in the fire of sacrifice, if you will. Your sense of self derived from your sense of my and the small little I that comes from that, which is false because nothing is ours, that has to be sacrificed. This is called, you know, ego effacement, ego sacrifice. This isn't necessary if if your spiritual path is to have any um, real currency for purchasing real estate in a land beyond beyond death. Hmm. You can't go there with your shoes on. That's not possible. You can't take the baggage of your attachments uh, with you. You have to let them go. Now, of course, don't be alarmed. Don't run out the door. (laughs) It's a gradual process. And the beautiful thing about bhakti is we will let go by holding on. We hold on to saintly people, their teaching, their example. And it, 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 it gives us the strength to, to let go because it gives us higher taste and experience and 
and and it sets an example for us that the, that a goal that's extraordinarily high. Again, we're talking about positive numbers up to one hundred and eight, uh, and we're just ordinary people. We're not living in the Himalayas in a cave. <sighs> I reached zero. Everything's good. <laughs> Who like ooh, stand out in everybody's eyes? And what is our position? We're ordinary people. We we met some saints. We like Krishna. Well, that has a lot to it, a lot to it. It's like, let's say you are a doorman at an 11-story building, and every day you're opening the door for people. That's your position. You could rise in the company eventually, the possibilities there, and become the CEO and reside on the 11-story penthouse, in the 11-story penthouse. It's possible. Next door is a 108-story building. Hmm. Right. Let's say you're a doorman in the 108-story building, and somebody else is the CEO in the penthouse in the 11-story building. Hmm. And every day he looks down at you as he drives by. There's the doorman, and he goes up into his 11-story building. Hmm. Meanwhile, you're the doorman at the 108-story building with a prospect to be the CEO in the 108-story building and look down at the 11-story CEO like he's just a doorman. So the point is that if by good association, we have to evaluate our position in consideration of our association. I have an ashram in Mountain Jungle Ashram in Costa Rica. It's a big some couple of hundred fifty acres in the jungle and the mountains, very nice, nice country. Um, it's in Latin America, which is going to be pretty hot uh, political uh, climate at times, and there can be revolutions and uh, um, so forth, you know, a little bit of the history of Central America and so forth. And uh, Costa Rica has no army. So you'd think, man, if you just look at Costa Rica with a small focus on the country itself. It's just in danger. It's next to Nicaragua. They, they had a lot of turmoil there some years back and so forth. But if you draw back, not that this is a good thing, it's just using an example, it has the support of the United States, which makes the Nicaraguan army look pretty small in comparison. So it has no army. It's a peaceful country, but it's safe there if we look at it in terms of its association, its backing, and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're connected with the 108, just by someone in that realm, or who has some real insight into that, thinking about us, caring about us, then we're better than a, in a better position than the sage in the Himalayas, taking in a deep breath and letting it out and feeling relief. I'm at zero. It's, in, it's, a, it's, it's a rather staggering to think of it like that. What we understand from this is that bhakti as a tradition is a grace, a tradition of grace. In yoga there's a lot of effort. Astanga yoga, <laughs> it's an effort-filled uh, path to be sure. You, have to be, you can't have any friends. I mean, if you really want to follow the, the tradition carefully, you have to live in a secluded place. And it's got a whole kind of rules. You can't sit too high and you can't sit too low. 
and so on and so forth. It's all described in the te- in the classical texts. Hmm? About you, know, if you, I mean, you can use yoga in any way you want. I mean, suppose and get accused of cultural appropriation or whatever. <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you if you if you use it for what it's meant for, well, it's meant for all cultures, for all people. It's meant to transcend cultures and gender and and so on and so forth. But there are there are I'm talking about Astanga Yoga of the Yoga Sutras, which is also described in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a real it's a system, hmm. yeah, and you got to do it right to experience transcending gender limitations, national limitations, limitations of time and space, and so forth. And one of the things in it is you got you can't have any friends, you can't have a partner. Well, that's a friend. You have to be celibate, hmm. according to the texts. This is one of the one of the. So that's a pretty high qualification. You're going to sit, after all. It's about sitting. So, it's hard to sit. <laughs> it may sound easy, but it's not so easy, right? Because something is making you get up. Mm. <laughs> Who made me get up? I wanted to sit and meditate. It's those thoughts, those desires in your heart in relation to things mm, that you think are more than thoughts. And that's what, then what you use to your, your thinking for to think about thought, th- things that's not what we're thinking about things hmm. <laughs> if you think deeply enough about things you'll stop thinking about them hmm. right. Gyan that's another system that is, it's a type of yoga besides Astanga yoga yoga of knowledge um, that's very difficult hmm. and both of these are effort based paths Bhakti, by contrast, is another type of yoga, but it's a, it's a, it's a grace-based path. Uh, it's bringing someone bigger, if you will, and more affectionate into your life. So there's an effort in bhakti, but it's an effort to get grace. And that's a very different kind of effort. You have to cry. That's your yoga. Hmm. Can you try it? <laughs> it's not so easy, but it, it sounds easier than many postures and living alone in a cave and, and so forth. And we do cry t- at times for others and we, we, so we know a little bit of what it's like. We can bring a person into our life in this case that infinite appearing in a finite like form hmm, that we might interact with the infinite in intimacy. That's what we mean by Krishna. Hmm? That Brahman that's everywhere in play, in drama, appears in a finite human-like form that we might interact intimately with the Absolute. So our effort is to bring him into our life. And how do we do that? Well, there, there are persons who have entered into the play of Leela. <coughs> Excuse me. And they try to talk about it. It's beyond words. I said, was saying the other day, I used to be involved in circulating the, the, the publications of my Guru Maharaj to, to people on a large scale. And sometimes, fairly often, I'd meet a person who was felt pretty wise 
and would say, the truth is not in a book. You cannot find the, the ultimate truth in a book. Good point. Right? So I agreed with them, and then I sold them the book. <laughs> because I told them, where'd you learn that? <laughs> what book did you read? <laughs> it's true, but... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's more than the book, yeah. so you got to get through the book, which is what is the book in this case? This is someone who's who's there, trying to put it into words. If it's beyond words, why say anything? The answer is no. How can I say enough? How can I be silent? This is the proper use of the tongue. To try and talk about that, to put it into words. Now those words, those depictions of that realm of Leela, where there's interaction between the finite and the infinite and intimacy and so forth, that realm, beyond words, beyond thought, experienced in a trance of bhakti yoga, samadhi nanusmarata vicheshtitam. When that is talked about, when that is written about by persons who have that experience, using, as I said earlier, the medium of drama, art, poetry, to try to, to say something about it, that poetry, that literature, has inherent spiritual power. Hmm. What's described there, of course, is only some kind of an outline of that uh, experience of Leela. But it's you can get your bearings there, if you will. Hmm. Right? Get the proper orientation to what is Leela. Hmm. Uh, so, such texts such discussions, they're very important. Now, again, we're talking about something that is beyond, you know, from negative numbers of karma to zero to, you know, 108,008. So, it's going to go over some of our heads. Hmm? Right? We're all here for different reasons and similar reasons and different levels of interest and acquaintance with the teaching and so forth and I appreciate everybody's interest and it, and it helps me so I'm here for my own good I'm a very selfish person to be in your good company interest in this will will help me to understand it I'm sure um, and so in talking about it uh, you know it might be too high for some it might be too low for others so you have to be a little patient I think this introduction, if you will, that I've been laboring with here is something that most of you can get a bit of a handle on and, and digest. But now I want to depart from that, if you will, or go on from there and continue the discussion that we've been having from the recorded text, the Bhagavad Purana, that's telling the story of Krishna as he enters into... Uh, into boyhood, and now we may start to lose some people here, but anyway, it's good to hear. Hmm. There's a saying or an idea 
in Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a is a ancient form of medicine. Hmm? You might have heard about it. Uh, be familiar with it. It's an you know, alternative form of medicine that's available in the world today, an ancient form. And um, uh, if someone has a very severe case of dysentery, hmm, which uh, if you go to India you can get a you know experience of that, uh, then. Uh, <laughs> uh, You can't eat anything, and you, and if you try, you won't be able to digest it. It'll just come back up. So, the cure. And I'm not an Ayurvedic doctor, but I've heard this, and it's a good good way of making the point. So they will give you a tablespoon of ghee. Ghee is is milk turned into butter, butter condensed further into like a oil butter oil ghee it's so it's very very rich and very very intense and it will be very it's very difficult to digest hmm. comparatively hmm. it has this place quite tasty too so so if you if you have dysentery you can't keep anything down you take a spoonful of ghee well you're certainly going to vomit it up so you say to the doctor what are you talking about i'm going to eat ghee but the point is it's such a rich food that a little bit will stick, a tiny bit will stick, and then you that will build you build on that. So when we talk about Krishna Lila from the Bhagavad, like I say, it may go over our heads, even some of the devotees who have been practicing for 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 many years. That the subject, the discussion, the terms, the feelings may go over their head. What speak of persons who are not familiar with such discussions, but there's a benefit there in being in this uh, kind of sangha, this kind of gathering, and hearing these things. Hmm. And um, often it uh, they're they're very inviting, so they tend to have repeat customers, hmm. <laughs> repeat customers. So I'm going to offer you a spoonful of ghee. So. <laughs> From Srimad Bhagavatam, we've been we've been drinking, eating this stuff for, for a few days now. So if we're a little intoxicated, you know, please uh, forgive us. Uh, it it is said to be such. It's said about the text of the Bhagavatam, which we are again discussing. This is a very, very rich text. It says at its onset, hmm? it's different than the other sacred texts of the Hindus, uh, the other Puranas, the Veda, the Bhagavad Gita, in that it is a, it is, it is kavya, it's poetry, it is, it is a, a ras shastra. Rasa is the, is the, is the, uh, is the. Uh, um, the soul of poetry, when through a poetic uh, or, th- or theatrical, uh, you know, performance, recital, or performance, uh, various aesthetic ingredients combine emotions. Uh, it can rise to the point of what's called rasa, emotional experience. I mean, you, you. This is a whole science of aesthetics. 
from the Eastern Indian Hindu point of view, but uh, um, as you know, when you go to a movie or something like that, you can identify with the actors, you can start to feel their emotions, you get a little displaced from your own where you're sitting and you're transported into their feelings, so to speak. So the discussions of Krishna Leela are, and the paradigmatic figures in there are meant to share their emotions with us and transport us into that. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lot to digest, but um, but uh, the text says, I said, the Bhagavad Gita is answered, this book is a book that's about the soul of poetry. It, all of the Hindu sacred texts are, are like a standard of knowledge. It's the most voluminous body of literature on earth, and it, its subject, centrally speaking, is consciousness. Well, that's a pretty important subject, as we said earlier. It's hard to get around that. You, we tried in Western society, from a from a Newtonian worldview, in which the world was seen as a machine, and the idea of consciousness was, what's that? We know how the world works. There's electromagnetic energy. There's strong and weak nuclear energy. There's gravitational, what do we, magnetic energy, whatever it is some basic forces and we and all the world works by those forces there's no room for anything else uh, uh, the world's a machine hmm? and this idea of a soul well that's the ghost in the machine that needs to be exercised hmm? and stop with this superstitious thinking well you know things change <laughs> and uh, the Tonian worldview is given way to some extent, as much as you were willing to admit it, to a, um, um, what's the word, quantum uh, perspective about what's out there, the nature of the objective world, and so forth. And now consciousness is, is, is important, hmm? because they're, they're, well, they're arguably an observer is, plays a role in everything. Hmm? And that's like, what the heck? That doesn't work with what we understood for hundreds of years and thought we had it all figured out. So we're a little reluctant to let go of that. Hmm? And then you get your Eastern spiritual interpretations of quantum, uh, pseudoscience. We have nothing to do with it. We're not interested in that. We're going to keep trying to reduce consciousness to matter, mind to brain. There's nothing but physical forces. We want to be rational people. Hmm? There's nothing but the natural world. There's no supernatural. Hmm? And given that there's, an, if I may continue, given that there's, in that perspective, only the natural world, only the physical, there's no mental, it's just a brain. We think there's a self, <laughs> but that's an illusion. There's only physical forces interacting. Given that, as I say, if I may continue, there's no really right or wrong action. They're just physical forces. That's a human construct, that there's a right or a wrong. It doesn't matter if you pick a flower or you, you know, or you shoot someone. It's just 
physical forces interacting. Hmm. You can overlay it with some moral sensibility, but that's not part of the talk, which is difficult to walk. You understand? The talk is it's just physical forces interacting. Hmm. Now I try walking that talk. Hmm. <laughs> not only are, they, by extension, if there's no right or wrong action, well, there's no right or wrong thought. So much for your rationality. Hmm. According to your own philosophy, reason has no bearing on the nature of reality. So the whole thing is really rather absurd, but it has a lot of currency in the world, and there are reasons for that, but we won't go into them. Vedanta, on the other hand, as I said, the sacred text of the Hindus is all about the nature of consciousness and gives us a different perspective. It doesn't wonder what is the biological or physical uh, uh, basis of consciousness. It, it just looks at the thing the whole opposite way around. That the objective world comes out of the subjective world. Which, which makes a little sense because how much more sub complex are thoughts than things? Well, they're quite a bit more complex. Well, it's reasonable to conjecture that less complex things will come out of more complex things. How complex is experience compared to non-experience? It's, it's, is there any experience in non-experience? Well, no, I mean, that's stupid to ask, isn't it? Hmm? But if matter is a non-experiencing substance, it's, isn't it a bit magical thinking? to think that at some point experience will arise within it? Hmm? Do you think at some point that you're playing pool, a pool, one of the pool balls is going to say, could you put a little chalk on the end of that stick? Well, I mean, that'd be silly. That is materialism, that's what it says. That consciousness has a biological and physical basis that appears at some, we don't know how yet, but believe us, give us your money. It does. Well, we just look at it the other way, and it's, and it's an old teaching that's been around for a lot longer than that theory. A lot longer. And there's much to it. We can't go into it in great depth, but this is the central subject of the sacred texts. And this text, the Bhagwat, describing the Leela of Krishna, says at its onset, oh, the Vedic the sacred texts of the Hindus, they're like a great tree of knowledge, which is many-branched. Hmm? While consciousness is central uh, to them, and understanding it, experiencing what it means to be a, a particle of consciousness, hmm? it's, it, it's many branches of knowledge arising out of that. And on that tree of sacred texts, there's a fruit. Nigama kalpaturo galitam falam. It's a ripe fruit, falam, and it's galitam. It's fallen to the ground, so it's easy to get. You don't have to climb at risk of falling. The tree is bent over and drops the fruit for you. That's what this book is like, and it's just so ripe with insight and 
into the nature of not only what consciousness is, but what its prospect is, what possibilities lie in the realm of consciousness. What's beyond just, I'm different from matter, which is a big thing. What, what, is, the, what is the consciousness of consciousness? And it's love, it says. We don't want just peace. Ah, oh, I got to zero. I want love, peace and love. Now there's movement. We can say, the forms of this world are here today and gone tomorrow. You are consciousness. Not any of these forms that, whoosh, they're just like a dream. It was there, but it's, it lasts a little longer, but it's, but it's gone. Hmm? Right? Prince Charming turned into a couch potato. Took a little longer than my dream last night, but it happened. <laughs> what to do now? Goodness. That's what's happening. Hmm? Vice versa also, it works both ways around. Problem. Hmm? So, okay, we can get that, kind of. And forms seem to be limiting, constraining, right? So beyond the form. Now we come to zero, but now we're going to start talking about positive numbers. We're going to talk about forms again. Wow, this is getting confusing. Hmm? But this means consciousness taking a shape. Think of it like this. What's making the forms in this world? When we invest... As a unit of consciousness, consciousness, when we invest ourselves in matter, it takes a shape, like this house, right? It takes on a meaning and certain values and so forth. If you just take the basic elements that it's constructed out of, well, it took, by consciousness investing in those elements in a particular way, it took a shape. So what if consciousness could turn inward on itself entirely? Hmm? Then the possibility that forms could arise out of consciousness that don't have the limitations of material forms. And as much as form may be constraining and limiting, from another angle of vision, it's also facilitating. If I ask for some water, I don't, nobody's just going to throw it at me. They're going to give it to me in the form of a glass, which will facilitate my taking advantage of it. So forms don't have to be limiting. So there's there 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 there, and 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 when we move from zero, as I'm saying, to 108, where are we moving? We're moving in a direction of affection, of love, from peace to love and affection, and love has a shape, it takes a shape, form. There's a form to love. Just like let's say you know you you have an idea, a beautiful idea. And you're an artist, so you need to give it a shape, right? You need to put it on the canvas, and then oh, everybody can appreciate it and so forth, right? So the book says, "Who oh, this book here amongst all the sacred texts? This is like the ripened fruit. It's like, oh, it smells sweet. It's just full of juice." Literal, literal meaning of rasa is juice. It's juice. It's 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 an intoxicating beverage. It can it constitutes trans psychological, emotional life in transcendence. That's a mouthful, I know, but <laughs> and so the text says, 
and to take this fruit and don't eat it drink it it's ready to be drunk it's so something like and it says and what will be the result you will pass out so and what should you do instead get up and do it again <laughs> amen <laughs> All right, so so anyway, we've been drinking this stuff for a while. It's, it's uh, again. Um, we've been in the, in the fifteenth chapter of the tenth canto, talking about the boyhood of Krishna. He has just become um, able to herd cows and so forth. We, we went through. Uh, I'm writing a book about this particular kind of love, and this particular chapter, I've made four chapters out of. So it's there's quite a bit there. Um, but uh, we haven't got through the whole thing because uh, it's complicated. But um, um, the speaker of the text, uh, the narrator who, who's being described in the text, uh, is uh, is reluctant to tell another story about Krishna, um, the hero. Um, and so he puts it off as long as he can. and. But his student is too curious to hear about it and draws it out from him. This is the story of Kalyanaga. And uh, it's a story in which the heroism of Krishna, this is one of his qualities, his heroism, which is, an, is called an Udipana. It's kind of an excitement for the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the sentiment of fraternal love of God. Uh, so Krishna's those who have those who have entered into the leela in transcendence and taken forms like young boys like 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 Krishna, they uh, they uh, relish his his heroism because they think, you know, he's like us. Yeah, I could have done that. <laughs> he did that. So the heroism is, uh, is, is, is stands out for them, like other qualities of Krishna stand out for devotees in one type of sentiment, whether it be romantic sentiment, fraternal sentiment, paternal sentiment, and so forth. There are a number of them. This is just one. But the point here is that in this particular Leela, the heroism of Krishna comes into question. He's performing heroic act, but it looks like he may not be successful. This is a drama. So... <laughs> So, Sukadev, meanwhile, before he tells the story, as the cowherds come home from the Denikasur Leela, Krishna is now entering from boyhood into adolescence, and he experiences Purvarag. He sees the Gopikas, the milkmaidens, they exchange glances at a distance. And they experience that love for one another without having been able to express it yet, which creates kind of a love, but there's separation because you can't express it. That's called Purvarag in aesthetics. Hmm? And during the and there's only a couple of verses on this, but it, it, it really turns the head of the Kirtanir um, who's telling the story at Sugadev. Hmm? And he enters in, into Sarup City during the Purvarag. First, first instance of the, describing the Purvarag in 
in the pages of the Bhagavatam. Sanatana Goswami in his commentary said, here he has attained Swarup Siddhi, which means he now, he's been telling the story, and this is not only is are those who are hearing it, becoming acquainted with it, being transported from their material absorption and so forth, and being taken within it, the speaker is going within it, and, and in a more concentrated way. Hmm? Because you have to think about what you're going to say, or it, it, it's, it's, it's so the speaker benefits hmm? immensely. Those who ask questions, they benefit, the audience benefits, anyway, all around. So he is engaged in kirtan. Kirtan is a, is a, is a one of the principal uh, forms in which bhakti, the yoga of bhakti, is uh, is um, engaged in. Kirtan means that, like, as I came in, Mitra Sain, my friend, was leading the kirtan. So that's one type of kirtan, singing the names of Krishna, nam kirtan. This is now kind of like leela kirtan. Sukadeva was doing leela kirtan, telling the leelas of Krishna. And, and, and he became perfect what is his perfection? He saw himself in the Leela that he was talking about. Hmm? And from there, then, he he continued to talk about it from that perspective. Hmm? And he entered in in Gopibhav, who had a very, very tender heart. And the Kaliya Leela had a particularly uh, uh, troubling effect on the young Raj Kishoris, the young girls of Braja in the Leela, particularly. It affected everyone. It's a Leela in which the heroism of Krishna became visible for everyone in the village, not just boys talking about something, probably telling a tale. They came home from cow herding with Krishna, and Krishna did this and that. And the elders would think, well, maybe. You know, boys will be boys, they'll tell stories. Krishna's just our, our, our son. We love him. He's wonderful, no doubt, but that sounds like a tall tale. <laughs> but in this Leela, they all saw this. And they were all affected differently, of course. From, as I say, the parental perspective is probably more of a tall tale, they think. The, 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 the gopis, they think, that sounds like the man of my dreams. When you, when the cowards would come home telling, Krishna did this, Krishna did that. Hmm? Hmm? But for the cowards, he did it, it's real. And, it, and it's normal for him, that's how they feel. Hmm? So different different feelings there in the Leela, right? Different players, different sentiments, different rasas. So, so Sukadev, entering into Gopi Bhav, it was difficult for him to tell a story, but his student, the Raj, hmm? the setting is that the sage was appeared on the bank of the Ganges where the emperor had gone and sat with a view to understand the purpose of life. Hmm? And all kinds of people gathered to tell him what to do at the time of death, he thought. Because it had been, there was an oracle that he would die in seven days. So he said, what's it all about? Hmm? Imagine a king gets preoccupied with a lot of different things, right? So what's it all about? It became very, very philosophical. Hmm? And so many people came to volunteer answers, and in walked this boy, 16-year-old boy, naked, hmm? and oblivious to, the, to his nakedness. 
and the people could understand, oh, he might know about death because he has no attachments. He doesn't even attach to clothes. Doesn't even know he needs them. Hmm? And what's the problem with death? Oh, it's our attachments. We can't take them with us. So it's a problem. Hmm? But he understood that. Hmm? He had no attachment. So he can give the answer. And everybody sat. Right? Hmm? And in the context of giving the answer, hmm? he further entered into the answer himself and perfected himself. Right? Hmm? He didn't want to tell this next story that we are already in the middle of telling from last night and a couple of days previously. We're going to come to the end of it. He didn't want to tell the story, but the king, the emperor, he was on the edge of his seat. And he said, "What happened? What's what's he, he?" He told a little bit of it, just just I'll say a couple couple words, a couple of verses at the end of the fifteenth chapter, three four verses, and try to put it to rest. But the but the Raj said, "Tell me, I'm, I'm your disciple. You you can't hide anything from me. I'm giving everything to you. I've come for everything." Hmm? So this is the rule, right? The guru has to give everything to those who want everything. And she has to have everything <laughs> to give it. And so, or more than the disciple can digest, at least. So, he told a story. He told a story. And it's a long story, but make a long story short, will be difficult, but uh, the point we're at in it, uh, the, the, the Jumuna, the lake, the river, hmm, that it was so central to the, to the community, as any body of water would be, and you, know, you make civilization near a body of water, where there will also be well water in the ground and so forth, where you can, you can use the river for commerce and um, so on and so forth, for practical reasons. Um, as in this case as well for esoteric reasons, because the Dham, the abode, the sacred geography in where Krishna performs his Leela is an extension of his own self, the God in his play, in, a, in the course of enacting a drama, manifests the scene. So the Dham, it means light, but it means also the abode, the, the theater itself. So the theater, in the Tantra, Krishna says, that Vrindavan is my body, he says. And the Jamuna, the river, is, this, is my central nervous system, the Sushumna Nadi, that in the microcosm of our bodies is the artery through which yogis, uh, from the heart, go and come out the top of their head. It's a difficult process. Uh, so he says, but uh, but those who meditate on my abode, hmm, they can go there just by swimming in the Jumuna. That's very easy comparatively. Hmm. It's very dear to me, the Jumuna, Govardhan, the mountain there. It's very dear to me, given that there's a, there's a community of cows and it provides fodder for them and so on and so forth. So uh, he's concerned because a portion of the Jumun has become polluted. And it's an old, long story, but this Naga, from the Naga community, underworld people, uh, they're depicted like like snakes, half snakes, there's good ones and bad ones. 
So Kaliya was uh, was a was a naga. Hmm. His mother was um, Kadru, the mother of the nagas, whose whose mother was whose chief son was Ananta, Ananta Sesh, one of the ca- the carrier of Vishnu. Hmm. Kaliya was his brother. So he had Vaishnav association, good association, but he didn't take advantage of it. He even married this Kalyanaga. Um, he had a few wives, and they were all devotees of Narayan, form of Krishna. So he was from his brotherhood, or his fam- own family life. He had devotees in his life, but and they were always fostering on him impressions about devotion, virtues of, of such and so forth. But he was, with his own will, resisting that, and he was offensive. Garuda was his half-brother. Hmm? He got, he, he, and he was inimical towards him. Hmm? Uh, when he heard that Garuda was no longer going to the Jamuna, then he went there hmm? and thought, I'll reside there. But he poisoned the lake. It's a long story. We talked about a number of the details of that. It's interesting in and of itself. But hmm, um, ultimately, Krishna, who was, as I said, just a, just a, just in his boyhood, was herding cows, and every day his mother would say, "You may go and herd, but don't go to that Kaliya Lake. That nobody goes there. That's that's poisonous. Don't go there. Don't go there." So he's in his boyhood. Now you can understand, the more she cautioned him, don't go there, the more he was going to go there. There wasn't a day that went by that he didn't think, I'll slay that, I'll correct that Kaliya, save the Jamuna, and expresses his his heroisms and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in order to further ensure that he wouldn't do such, uh, typically, and in this instance as well, Yasoda fosters her vatsalya, her parental love, onto Balaram. And he, his, he has Sankul Bhav, so his Sakyarakas is packaged with Dasya and also vatsalya that aren't uh, compatible with Sakya, but he experiences them separately from Sakya. And when he, so he experiences vatsalya, the Sakya kind of recedes a little bit to the background. So she's always fostering her vatsalya on him. You're the older brother. You should take care, protect him. Don't let him go to that lake. Don't let him go to the lake, whatever you do. Hmm? So Krishna's waiting for an opportunity. It didn't take too long because the day of Ram's... uh, In the Vedic culture, they would celebrate the day that the moon went into the constellation each month that presided over the day of your birth. So it's like a mini birthday, hmm? a monthly birthday. And so Balaram was held home and, and captive by parental love on this day. He sent a message with Subal, according to Bhaktivedanta Samrita Sindhu. Tell Krishna, don't go to the Kaliya's lake, and I can't come today. But he didn't get there in time. And off Krishna went. Right? And he brought cows that were pregnant, thinking... There are really good grasses there that if nobody goes there, so there's really good grasses. It'd be good for the pregnant cows. So he went. He went ahead of the cows and the, and, and and other young herdsmen to, to expect the scene. And meanwhile, the cows drank the water. They died. It's a drama. So, holy breath. And then the the boys thought, well, here we are in charge of the cows. It's our dharma. 
we're Vaishyas, Abhiras, and and so if, how are we going to come home without the cows? And, and to show our allegiance to, to, to the cows, they drank the water. We'll die too. Hmm. So this, of course, then came to Krishna's attention. And then the, the, uh, you see the, the beauty of this is that this intimacy, this human likeness that we're, we're talking about, the background of it is the majesty of the, of the you know, that the Krishna is this Brahman who's everywhere, right? So if, if you and I do something like this, it's kind of ordinary. But if God acts like us, <laughs> that's pretty extraordinary. That's like far out. So, you know, such is the nature uh, of the Leela. But sometimes the Godhood of Krishna shows up in the Leela, right? Shows itself. Because the Leela is being narrated in such a way where the, 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 the narrator and the, and the author is walking a tightrope between Aishvarya and Madhurya. Aishvarya, and he's telling the stories of Krishna with which we can easily bond emotionally because we feel like that as humans. We know what friend, friendly love is like. We know what romantic love is like. We know what... So when you hear that, then you have a little affinity for Krishna. You bond with him. There's no other tradition like this that you can bond with the Godhead through your human emotions. And, and, and that bonding starts to build an, an, an attraction which, if followed by yogic practices, appearing, chanting, and so on and so forth, will turn into a taste that drives your practice so that the practice is not a practice. It's what you like to do. It's an attachment. To do the things that we're attached to doing is effortless. So this is the, this is the way in which we become attached to Krishna. So you got to have a little philosophy underneath to figure it all out, but eventually when you get that down, it's quite likable. And, and uh, so, Aishvarya Shakti, his, the majesty, the godhood, took an opportunity to have a role in the sweetness of the Leela, because now all the cowherds had died, and the cows had, and, the, and, and, and they were pregnant, and the, and, and, and the boys had died, so Krishna's expanded himself into as many forms as there were cowherd boys and as many cows as there were cows and revived each one individually hmm? and each one thought what Krishna is bringing me back from hmm? and they wept and the cows licked him as if he was their new calf hmm? and the calves inside their womb kicked and said I'd like to get out and see him too hmm? so Brought back to life, then Krishna proceeded to the lake's edge where the Kaliya was, 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 was in the lake, and he jumped in. And then they all fainted, oh my God, now what? They, 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 they experienced the coward with sattvika bobs, like fainting, like being stunned. And these sattvika bobs saved them, <laughs> their ecstasy saved them, from jumping in along with Krishna after him, which would have been uh, not the right thing to do. So they were saved by their sattvika bobs. Meanwhile, stunned as they were, they were in no position to tell anybody else and, and to appear that Krishna needs help here. What's, what's, he's dumped he's in the lake. We'll, we don't see him now. So they had no recourse to tell anybody. So the, the, the environment, the intelligence within the environment, we say the devas, the, 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 the intelligence behind the realm, uh, uh, 
hard to explain, but it created natural occurrences like meteors falling, earth tremors, and so forth. And so the, 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 the balance of the community, hmm, the elders, the young adolescent girls, and so forth, were all back with, with Ram, Krishna's elder brother, who had stayed home, right? And so they they were um, they saw the omens. They knew oh, something wrong here. Krishna, and immediately they think Krishna. We had this, and so they looked to Ram, who we described his reaction to that. How he smiled, and Sukadev didn't like that. Why is he laughing? Is he drunk? Is a penchant for a tall fruit and so forth? Uh, and they called him. He called him Bhagavan Madhavo Bahalo. What is this? Is it he's from a Chatriya lineage? He has a hard heart. Sugadeva is thinking all these things, but Balaram is smiling because he's thinking, "There's Krishna. I know what he's doing because he's omniscient, also being another manifestation of the God of Himself." So he's thinking, "Oh, I, in, in another Leela, I'm Sesh Ananta, and he's resting on me in the causal ocean, and now he's going resting on Kaliya." Hmm? Krishna had come out from the ocean. He was in the coils of Kaliya. So, anyway, he led all the all the all the all the community to the to the lake, and and there they were ready to jump in. He had to restrain them and so forth. We've gone through all the many details of this and all the and the feelings that arise from it. Um, but but uh, um, Balaram was confident in his omniscience that, that obviously nothing's going to happen to Krishna. But he was also distraught because the the rest of the inhabitants without that sense of omniscience steeped in their bhava were feeling uh, great uh, concern hmm, uh, and anxiety so Krishna seeing the conflicting emotions of Balaram hmm, his friend his brother his best friend and he felt I'm going to do I've got to I should take myself out of this the coils of so he had gone into the ocean and then he came out and he was in the in the grip of the cobra if you will hmm. this is the situation now the question is what happened underneath the water hmm, right so this is this is a this is a Kaliya is a is a person a, a being whatever in the leela who uh, Krishna's dealing with it's it has an, some entity but he's not like all the henchmen of Kamsa. As I said, he has wives who are devotees, his brother is a devotee, his, his half-brother is a famous Garuda, a famous, famous devotee. Hmm. Yeah. He wasn't sent there by Kamsa either. So he is a different, uh, he's in a different trajectory. Hmm. So Krishna's going to deal with them differently. So underneath the water, you got to imagine Krishna has now jumped into the water. What does he do? He manifests his matsya avatar, the fish in avatar. He swims like matsya. I mean, it's, it's, Kaliya's like, okay, he, you know, he's a good swimmer. But, <laughs> but when he sees Krishna swimming, he's like, he sees him and he feels the vibration coming off of Krishna, which is like, like music. Hmm? And this is, Kaliya now is, 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 those samskars for bhakti that he's received, that he's re rejected, the, the seeds for bhakti, hmm? Krishna's drawing on them. He's watering them by his presence there. Hmm? And what's happening underneath the water 
Hmm? No one else can see. Is Kali is becoming a devotee himself. Hmm? He tries to bite Krishna. Actually, he's trying to kiss Krishna, but he doesn't know how to do it. He wants to embrace Krishna hmm? in love. But like a new devotee, <laughs> he makes a lot of mistakes. <laughs> He doesn't do it right. <laughs> oh no, I might have made him an offense here. Been a uh, is it, uh, but Krishna's Baba Grahijanarda, he just takes the spirit of it. Hmm? So from the outside, it looks like Kali is you know, very inimical to Krishna, but Krishna's converting him by his power. He's trying to kiss him, kiss him trying to em embrace him. He comes out of the water, he's holding him there. Hmm? And Krishna's feeling kind of, kind of comfortable, in, 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 although it's He's not doing it right, he's got the right feeling, something like that. Everybody else looking at it from, from another angle of, of is this Sanatana Goswami's perspective on oh, this is very unique, right? <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, everyone's on the shore, animals, birds, people, and so on and so forth. <laughs> and Krishna's been in the coils of Kaliya for quite some time. So, this is one of the reasons why he's there for so long. Because he's actually turning Kali in, into a devotee and, 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 and relishing the little bit of devotion that starts to come out with him. He's bringing it out to a certain point. He brings him in to a certain point so that he can chastise him. My Guru Maharaj said, used to say that if our Guru praises us, or criticizes us, we're doing okay. But if he's indifferent to us, then that's the problem. It means he thinks, this guy's not curable. <laughs> uh, so, as long as he, ha he has, he's, if he chastises me, he must really care about me. He took the time to single me out and, and, and so forth. But in order to be able to understand that, appreciate that, well, we have to draw the student in and show them that we love them, and then, then when we chastise them, they can understand that oh, it's for my good. And so it took some time. This is why it took some. Why he stayed in the coils. One of the reasons for so long, because once that was complete, then he releases himself from the coil, which corresponds with freeing everybody from anxiety and so forth. He stands on the heads of Kaliya, and then he begins to dance there. Which is also he's also chastising the Kali. He's got many heads. He's jumping from head to head. You know, somebody's stepping on your head all the time. It can hurt after a while. <laughs> so he's driving. The, the implication is he's driving out the poison hmm, of his uh, enmity and, and so forth, and bringing about his uh, devotion. Now, the interesting thing here, for those who are a little bit knowledgeable about this, um, have some familiarity with it, is it's said that when Krishna s slays the, the demons in the Leela, in Braj, it's the Vishnu inside of him that does that, not Krishna, right? Hmm. But here, in this case, it's the Krishna that does it himself. How do we know? Hmm. Because Krishna is dancing on Kaliya's heads, right? and chastising him. Now we could say, well, that's the Vishnu who's doing that. But it's Krishna that's doing the dancing. How do we know? 
Because he, who is he dancing for? Those young gopis who came there. Those tender-hearted gopis like Sukadev himself. Hmm? He wanted them to come there and give a prelude to the Maharas. See how? See what I'm like? I can... He wanted to attract them, right, for romantic love. And from the Madhurya perspective, this is what the whole Leela is about. It's the whole thing for him to do. That. He quite a, orchestrated quite a bit and put everybody through quite a bit. You can see how much he, he, he's... Uh, uh, drawn by this uh, Madhuri Rasa. It's, that's great power. <laughs> great power. So he danced on the heads of Kaliya to showcase his uh, such. And then, of course, Kaliya was reformed and his wives came out and they made a petition on his behalf. They, they said, what you have done is appropriate. The guy has been a terrible husband. <laughs> but, but we love him. Anyway, you know, he's actually been good to us, but the way he re- relates to devotees, and so we, we couldn't relate to that. So it's appropriate what you've done. And then they, 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 they worship him with, with majesty, according to their bhav, not intimacy, but with reverence. And then they made a petition that, uh, that you be kind to, to Kaliya and benedict him and so forth. So Krishna accepted their prayers and uh, and their uh, their proposal. Mm-hmm. So Kaliya came before him, and then what did he do? He petitioned Krishna to forgive him, and it, it, it acknowledged his his godhood, and so on and so forth. And he said, um, "You know, by the way, if it ever happens that Garuda is not available, who's your carrier? That Garuda." who I offended earlier on at the beginning, you can ride on me. Hmm? And in some yugas, that's what happens. In Brihad Bhagavatamrita, it's described as such. Hmm? Krishna chastised Kaliya, then the Nagaputnis, the wives, gave him some silk, and he made a rain, rode on Kaliya. Hmm? So, <laughs> so he has a special role hmm? in the Leela as well. Hmm? Krishna's dancing on the head and chastising. It's not Narayan. He can't dance like that. Hmm. Hmm. Lakshmi, the consort of Narayan, wanted to see that kind of a dance. Hmm. She couldn't. Certainly Narayan can't. So it's Krishna. Therefore we say Kaliya Krishna. Hmm. There's a legend that says that you know the, 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 the extension of India was larger than what's now the nation state. So it overflowed in past times into Cambodia, where you can find Vishnu temples, and Thailand, and um, what's the other one over there? Bali, Indonesia, yeah. As far as Fiji, they say. So there's a legend that Kaliya, which was sent back to his original home, and Krishna said, you don't have the kind of bhav to live here for me, but I appreciate the love that you do have. But you shouldn't shouldn't stay in Braj, you should go to such and such place. And they said, some people say, that's Fiji. Hmm. My Guru Maharaj started a temple in Fiji and he has a deity of Kaliya Krishna. It's not Kaliya Narayan. <laughs> Kaliya Vishnu. Kaliya Krishna ki jai. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, this is the end of the story here. Uh, it's actually, there is more to it than that. You can imagine it goes on. They, they, the, the, so the day ended. 
everything's good, but it's too late to go home. Hmm. So they camped out on the banks of the Jamuna. Hmm. They camped out. And um, all the cows and the cowherd boys and the gopis and and then they took rest at a certain time. And Kamsa's henchmen, who were spying on the scene, uh, reported back. And he sent one to start a fire, surround them with fire. Hmm. So Balaram woke up to the fire, called Krishna. Hmm. They were surrounded by the all. Uh, Krishna was surrounded by all of his friends. It looked like Krishna swallowed the fire. How could that be? So the coward boys thought, no, no, we blew it out. It must have been something like that. <laughs> we blew it out. And then the morning came, and the and the balance of the community returned home. Um, um, but uh, Balaram held back and said, let's go bathe in the lake now that it's, 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 it's clean. And he laid back and, and showed himself as a non-tessation. Krishna's riding on him. So many, there are many more details, but we talked for a long time. So it's just a little bit of uh, entrance into uh, the, the nature of Krishna's Leela. And with that, uh, we have a couple of devotees who we're trying to bring in so that later we can chastise them. <laughs> and they like it, so they've come to be initiated. So why don't you both come forward, old and young alike. There's no, no restrictions on age or gender, race or religion. <laughs> From any religion, we He's older. You're younger. He's a little more familiar with the teaching, so he's older than you. That's what I think. Yeah. Guru Maharaj, Guru Nishta told me to bring these CDs through. Okay. Yes, good. I have another pair. So, so now we're going to impart the Maha Mantra into your right ear, and from there into your heart, from my heart, through your ear, into your heart. And then you should you should come back up on your tongue and you should chant it. And you have been chanting under my uh, auspices and so forth. So um, now you're going to chant in a more systematic way with a certain number of, a certain period of time every day and so forth, right? Uh, so we'll, we'll fix that, uh, that up at this point. What is that? time, ten hours a day, eight hours a day, <laughs> what, what, whatever, whatever it may be. And um, there are other, uh, so, so we're going to impart a mantra. We're also going to impart Pundra, Tapa, Yajna, and Nam. So Pundra means this, uh, this symbol here. Mm, the symbol of Vish, Vishnu Tilak, right? So now uh, you, you, you can, I'll anoint you with the Tilak. Mm, it's from the dust of that place in India where Krishna appeared. And then uh, others can tell you more about that. And then when you sit in the morning and chant, you put on Tilak, 
and keep yourself very sattvic, clean, and meditate on the, the mantra, right? So, Bhundra, uh, in the name, I'll give you a name. Hmm? The, the, the family name is Das, means servant. Uh, so, and then some, some, some name of Krishna, along with that. So, so Pundra Nam Tapa. Tapa means um, it's a little. It means it means uh, austerity. It means light too. It means knowledge in the sense that from austerity we get light. In other words, when we when we restrict our senses from just interacting with the sense objects, then our head starts to function. We start to be more of a thinking person. In other words, animals, less complex forms of life, don't do that. They, do, you know, they don't say, you have two dogs, you invite them for dinner, and one doesn't say, well, you go first. I've had enough. You, you try some. It's like they're driven more by their particular embodiment. They'll get human lives also, and they have a chance to think a little bit more. But human life is for restraining uh, the senses. That's what it's about, and controlling the mind. And people don't think of it like that, but that's what they want everybody else to do. And and they they they, they feel that they, their kids should be like that: control yourself, be a th- think deeply, um, and so forth. So, um, so w- when we, uh, I mean, even even if you are forced. To restrain your senses, let's say, like, let's say you're kidnapped and put in jail, then you you have to. What happens is your mind becomes active, you become philosophical. You you think about the situation and some how you you get get through it, right? So tapa means means that. But in other traditions, similar to ours at India, but in different lineages, the way they um, kind of symbolize this that this is a life of of tapa also is they take a branding iron. I don't know if they do it anymore, but then they brand the symbols of Vishnu. But we don't do that. That's not Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is not like that. So I, I will brand you in a in a, in a less uh, abrasive way with 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 the name of Krishna. So that's Pundra, Nam, Tapa, Mantra. I told you I'd give you the mantra, and Yagya. Now Yagya pertains to Archan, which is a way of worshiping. The deity on the altar, but for that you need another mantra. You have to come back another time. Hmm. So the yogi here would be the, the sankirtan, hmm. means which is the yogi for kali yuga. Krishna varnam tisa krishnam sangho pangastra parshadam yagnai sankirtana praya yajantihi sumedasa. This is for sumedasa people who are very intelligent. Hmm. They will take to this chanting like we began with. Hmm and dancing. This is a very joyous way to enter into the, the transcendence that we're, is our objective. So, um, with that we will begin and I will give you the Pundra first. Okay. This is the clay from that sacred geographical space in India. We tend to make pilgrimage there on a regular basis. Good reason. 
typically we and, and the sadhaka, the practitioner, anoints the their body twelve places with this. But I'm just going to put it on one place, the most prominent place, on your forehead. Okay, come a little closer. Om Keshavaya Namaha. You come to. Om Keshavaya Namaha. Very nice. Okay, now comes the hard part, the tapa. It's not, not too hard. We use more of this clay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, this stamp that's been made. It's made out of metal, and it's, it, it has one of the names of Krishna on it. It says Sham. Right? Now, I've seen people in India that have the name of Krishna tattooed all over their whole body, or the name of Ram, all over their whole body. Like that. They're making a statement. This body is for Krishna's body, and they're serious people. So, I'm going to just put it here for you. Sham. Sham, Sham, Sham. Nice. Name for Krishna. It describes the color of his complexion, sham, it's a, it's the, in aesthetics, it's the color of romantic love. Very nice. So now, neck beads. This is separate from those five things I mentioned, but we give these neck beads. They're made out of the Tulsi sacred basil. That's very um, used considerably in the worship of Krishna. There's a whole lecture about that. I'm not going to give it tonight, but... These beads, they are said to protect you from all kinds of dangers. Someone told me they will protect you from um, nuclear fallout. <laughs> Someone told me. But I have my doubts. I don't know. <laughs> But I admit it. But but I know this. They will protect you in this way. Someone will say, "Oh, those are nice beads. Where'd you get those?" And then you go, "Right, beads. Who am I? Why am I doing them?" Then you have to talk about it, and you're protected. Then they protect you. Someone will say, "Oh, you're a devotee of Krishna." Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you have to. Re they remind you. That will protect you. Okay. Can someone get that from behind? Go ahead. There's a clasp there. See? Here and here? Yeah. yeah. You do one side of there. Okay. Now if it's too tight or something, you can add some beads on. You can help with that, right? Uh, Somewhere close to you. Okay, then I'm going to give you this. This is some 
the tea lock for you. Is there another one? Should be. Oh, okay. Here's one. A used one. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to give you this. The beads go in the bag like this, right? You chant with your thumb and the middle finger. On each bead, you chant the mantra. Hmm. Now, do tell me how much you've been chanting. Uh -huh. Okay, now you tell me. Okay, good. So, so, good, good. Yeah, both of you good. So, so here's, uh, these are beads. They're for counting how many times you'll go around. The beads are 108 beads. They're made from the Tulsi, same as around your neck, right? So you chant on each bead the mantra. Go to the next one, next one. From the big bead you start, come around to the small. It's like a tree. This is the trunk, so you go to the top, pick a fruit, and come back down. So one time around, that's, we, that's one round. Then another time around, backwards, is two. Three, four, five, six, hundred and eight. Takes... So we, so you can continue with that same number, okay? That's good, and you also, very good. And yeah, I give you the beads for counting. Yet no, here they are. And they can show you how someone else can show you how to attach that to your bag. So here's for you, also bag and beads. All right. Now you might have heard that. <laughs> but it's the intention behind it that counts. So, but I wish you all well. Many. <laughs> okay. So. So your name is Krishna Das. And your name is Ram Das. <laughs> Ram Krishna Ki Jai. Ram Das Krishna Das Ki Jai. So ask all the members here with well wishes and all the senior disciples and so forth, who God brothers and God sisters, please bless these two devotees. They may progress, and you live in a community here, so try to help one another, support one another, right, in a non-sectarian way, and that will be good. Sisi Ramakrishna ki jai, Radha Govinda ki jai, Gaur Nityananda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi. Jigiri Dhari Gopinath Madana Mohan. Madana Mohan, Mohan Rupa. Mohan, Mohan Rupa, Mohan Rupa, Madana Gopala, Mohan Rupa, Madana Gopala, Madana Gopala. 
Nandakumara Madana Gopala Nandakumara Hari Harae Namo Krishna Jadavaya Namaha Hari Harae Namo Krishna Jadavaya Namaha Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare.